we're in the book of Mark, and uh, we've been going through this, this book for the past couple of months. And Mark 11, is, which is where we're at today, uh, if you got a Bible and you want to follow along, it begins with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's Jesus coming to Jerusalem for the last time before he's about to go to the cross. So we're already in the last week of Jesus' life, but there's still a lot to happen. There's still a number of weeks before we get to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to read three stories this morning, but they're all connected. They're all short. And Mark 11 is interesting in that it shows Jesus in all three of his offices as prophet, as priest, and as king. We see him as king in his coronation as he's coming into the city. And then um, later on this morning, we'll see him as priest as he works in the temple. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But first of all, we see him as prophet in Mark 11, verse 12. And I want to just read through a portion of this, and we'll talk about the first part, and then we'll move on to the next section. Verse 12, it says, On that following day, when they came to Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Whoa. Okay, that seems really, really harsh, right? This is a really controversial and a difficult passage of scripture for many people and, and scholars have written a lot about this particular passage. Why was Jesus so angry with this tree? Why was he so upset with it? You know, it's a great reminder to us that Jesus was not just the sacrifice for our sins. He wasn't just um, the, the Lamb of God that came to earth, but he was also the greatest prophet to ever walk this earth. In fact, one of the biggest issues that uh, exists with like, religions like Islam and, and Mormonism and, and many of these other religions that have close ties to Christianity and share maybe in some of the history that we have, and even in some cases the scripture that we use, but they elevate other prophets over Jesus. And Jesus was the perfect prophet. In fact, most of his prophecy came in the form of teaching and instruction. And when it came to predicting the future, usually it was a hopeful message. For, let me give you an example. For instance, he promised us that the Holy Spirit would come when he left, that he would be our helper, that he would be our guide. That was a prophecy. He told Peter, do you remember this passage that he says, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Right? That's an encouraging word. When the woman that was caught in adultery was brought to him, he called her out of her sin through forgiveness. The woman at the well, he told her everything that she had ever done. Right? That was her words. She's like, this man told me everything I've ever done. And it was like about her sin. I mean, it wasn't like exciting stuff, but, but it was hopeful for her. And he was calling her into repentance. The only time that Jesus gave a chastising or condemning word was in relation to the temple and its workers and to this poor little fig tree, right? <laughs> now, I've read this passage of scripture 
And I thought, listen, Jesus just needed a good nap and a, and a slice of pizza, right? What is his problem? But as we study this together, Jesus isn't losing his temper at this tree. He doesn't do things just for the sake of doing them. He's using this moment to teach us something. It's an object lesson. Um, now, we just read that it wasn't the season for figs. So does, a, does Jesus expect a tree to produce fruit year-round? I, I don't think that's the point of what he was saying here. In fact, um, one of the things that, that we know about fig trees is that in the spring, um, the fruit that they produce isn't ready yet. But as even before the, the leaves on the trees grow, there's little immature fruit that begins to develop. And those little fruits are edible. They're not necessarily mature figs. They don't taste sweet yet. They're not ready for harvest yet. But they're these little things that are edible, that are evidence that fruit is coming. It's not that, um, that it's ready and mature yet, but it's a sign that that maturity process is happening, that it's eventually going to produce something that's worth eating. And so if Jesus walks up to this tree and he's seeing just leaves on it and he's not seeing any evidence of this immature fruit that should be growing already, he knows that this tree is not going to produce anything worthwhile. It's a picture of something else. And we're going to get to that because Jesus does this and then there's another part to the story. And if we put the two together, we see the bigger picture. And Jesus is doing something here that prophets throughout history have done. He's giving an object lesson. He's giving an illustrated message that helps us see the significance of the word that he's speaking. There's some examples in scripture, and I don't even have time to list them all this morning, but Hosea's life was an object lesson that spoke of God's relationship to his people and his work of redemption through the life of Hosea and, and his wife that, that this redemption would happen. Daniel interpreted dreams that used objects to communicate God's message for kings, right? These kings would get dreams, and they'd go to Daniel and, and ask for the interpretation. And those, those pictures that they would describe, he would explain what it meant for them. Jeremiah was perhaps the most famous for this particular method of prophecy. He had a bunch of weird demonstrations. And listen, if you want to have a good time and... and find something interesting. Read through the book of Jeremiah and all the weird stuff that he did um, to communicate God's word. God uses these pictures or these object lessons to communicate to his prophets too. Remember Isaiah, when God called Isaiah and Isaiah said, I'm not worthy, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God used the picture of a coal touching his lips to communicate that he had sanctified him, that he had called him to speak on his behalf. Remember the story of of Jonah, how God called Jonah to Nineveh, and he ended up in the belly of a fish and being spit up on land, and finally he did what God told him to do. He went and, and told Nineveh that they needed to repent, and they actually did it, and, and Jonah was crabby about it because he didn't like the Ninevites, right? And so here they are repenting, and God's showing them mercy, and he's not happy about it, and so he goes and sits under this tree, and this tree that's giving him shade dies. He gets mad at the tree. God's like, listen, what's your problem, Jonah? Like, he used that tree as a picture to show him that his attitude stinks, right? Has God ever used something in your life to show you something that needs to change in your heart? That's exactly 
what Jesus is doing in this story. He's using a picture to prophesy against the temple and its leaders. Well, what is their sin? Well, let's keep reading and find out. Verse 15, it says, They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Now, I, listen, I'm picturing this in my head and thinking about it. And Jesus comes in and he overturns the, the table and he's walking around. He's not letting anybody carry anything through. Like, they're trying to carry their stuff through and he's just knocking it out of their hands. Right? And he's teaching them as he's... He's not just standing here teaching like a, a nice, quiet... No, he's, he's like playing basketball. Like... <laughs> Swiping stuff out of their hands. Hey, listen, this house is a house of prayer. Get out of here, right? I mean, this is a crazy scene. I actually wanted to bring a table up here and, and flip it over. I thought that would be a lot of fun. But that was really more for me than for the word of God. So we didn't do that this morning. Um, but Jesus is using this picture of the fig tree to show what's going on in the temple of Jerusalem. And he was teaching them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? Now, Jesus had a number of issues with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and many of the other temple workers. But here's the gist of this particular beef. Um, they were using a system that God had established for the righteousness of his people and the sacrifice of animals. And um, it, was, it was the way that, that people made themselves holy before God. And so they were using this system to gain power and to gain wealth and to gain influence. So in the court of the Gentiles, which this was the largest court of the temple, this was a huge, massive, massive part of the temple. It was 300 by 500 yards. So think three football fields wide, three foot or five football fields long. This is a huge, huge space. And the Sadducees had set up this part of the temple as a like livestock yard, right? They had all these different animals that were offered for sacrifice. And so this was an extremely profitable part of the temple. And they would not only, I mean, and it probably came from a good place, right? The idea behind this was actually a, a pretty nice thing because people were coming from all over the country and it was like, they didn't really want to bring their sacrifice with. Like if you had to sacrifice a, a cow, you're not going to want to carry that from like Bethlehem to Jerusalem, right? That's a, that's a long ways away. So people were coming from a long distance, and it gave them the opportunity to buy that sacrifice at the temple so they didn't have to bring it with them. Makes a lot of sense, right? And I'm sure it was well-intentioned initially, but at some point, somebody had the idea to sell these animals in the court of the Gentiles, and then corruption kind of started to set in too. Because it was not only selling the animals, it was also controlling the currency used to buy those animals. So they would say, okay, well, you can buy an animal for sacrifice here, but you can't just use any money to buy the, the animal in the temple. You've got to use the temple currency. And so if you want to use the temple currency, you need to change in some of your money for the temple currency, which we're happy to do for you, but we're going to charge you a slight premium. <laughs> And so they were not only selling these animals, but they were controlling the currency used to buy them uh, in, and making money off of the conversion of that currency. And, and Jesus is so upset 
and so furious that they've turned this holy place into a way to rip people off. So he flips over their tables, knocks the stuff out of their hands, and doesn't let anybody carry anything in the temple court. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. When the enemies of Jesus heard about what he was doing, they wanted to kill him because they were scared of him. Verse 20 says, And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree, and it was withered. Now, in the book of Matthew, it tells this story too. It says that Jesus cursed the tree, and immediately it withered. And, um, you know, we, I believe scripture, and so I believe that it did immediately wither. But Mark is very clear that it tells us that the disciples didn't notice it right away. So they come back the next day, and they see, hey, that tree, Jesus, look, that tree that you cursed, it's dead. It had withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So what can we learn from this story? I think there are a few things that help us in this process of remaining fruitful. The first one is to make prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority. Jesus told the temple workers, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Church, I'm, I'm not messing around with this one. Okay, you, you can pray anywhere, anywhere you want. You can pray in your house, you can pray in your car, you can pray at your work, you can pray wherever you want. You have access to God anywhere you are. But I'll tell you right now, this church is going to be a house of prayer. Right? When we gather here, everything starts with prayer. And, and we do this intentionally. In fact, when, when the worship team gets here, they're usually the first ones here on Sunday morning. When they start out their practice, they start with prayer. Right Before our service, our entire volunteer team gets together in the, in the foyer area. And we, we pray together. And oftentimes at the end of our service, we have a, a response time, right? Maybe we invite you to, to raise a hand for, to indicate that God's doing something in your heart. Or maybe it's, it's an opportunity to come forward and, and we ask you to pray with somebody. We have a team that meets every Wednesday night. They pray for our church. We meet once a month on Sunday nights for prayer. We conclude every single one of our small group prayer, our small group meetings with prayer, right? In fact, I've even told this to our small group leaders. You can skip questions. You can even skip the video. Don't skip the prayer. Because it's in prayer that we hear from God. It's in prayer that we stay connected to our Heavenly Father. It's how we share our burdens. It's how we cast our cares on Him. It's how we intercede for each other. There's power in prayer. And Jesus said that's what the temple was designed to be. And that's what His church is designed to be as well. Here's the second thing. Fight hypocrisy 
with humility. Now, this, this was the, the heart issue with the religious leaders. Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He told the, the parable of the Pharisee. You remember when Jesus was talking about this, he said there were two people praying. One of them was a Pharisee, and he said, thank God I'm not like that sinner. Right? That was his heart. That was what he was thinking. But Jesus himself wasn't like that. In fact, Jesus was a literal demonstration of humility. He was a walking display of humility, so much so that he washed his disciples' feet. Humility unlocks the the ability for us um, to minister in a way that gets our ego out of the way and allows us to, to work through the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to dispel a myth this morning. The circumstances in your life, good or bad, are not a reflection of whether God is happy with you. Okay? I want you to hear that right now. If life is going good right now, that's not your opportunity to pat yourself on the back and say, look how wonderful I am. God's taking care of me because I've been so faithful in this life. In fact, Scripture tells us it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, I believe God uses circumstances to shape and to mold us and to build our character. We'll get to that in just a second. Okay, but just because you're living a life that honors God doesn't mean that everything is gonna go perfectly in your life. And just because things are going well in your life doesn't mean that you're living a life that completely honors God. Now, humility does not mean self-flagellation, okay? I'm not a big fan of this saying that you're gonna hear in church from time to time. You've probably heard this said before if you've been around church long enough. It's just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It sounds, sounds very humble and, it, and I guess it's technically true, but I don't think humility is wearing a label that describes us as where we used to be. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're sinners, right? I mean, like we, we've all come from that place where we've, we've sinned, we make bad choices. In fact, we continue to sin and we continue to make mistakes and we continue to fall short of God's standard for our lives. But because of God's righteousness, we've been changed. So I don't want to wear that as like, this is my identity right now. Like if I'm going to be known as something and, and God has called me righteous, I'm not going to call myself sinful. But being humble is acknowledging that I didn't do anything to earn that label of righteous. Right? It's it's not arrogant to say that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because I didn't do anything to earn it. It was all because of what he did for me. So here's what humility does. It reminds us that it's only because of Jesus that we are where we are now. And it helps us to have compassion for others who aren't there yet. It's hard to judge someone for not being righteous enough when we honestly admit that our righteousness has nothing to do with our own work. Here's the last one. Live fruitful lives. The harvesting of fruit is a seasonal thing, right? Jesus wasn't stupid. He understood that there was a season for harvesting, but he also recognized that there was, if there wasn't a development of fruit on that tree in that moment, that there wasn't going to be anything to harvest when that season came. 
this passage reminds us of something. It's that we should always live lives that evidence that something is coming. That fruit is coming. That there's a spiritual growth process happening in our lives. Let me ask you these questions. Are you watering the tree of your life with the word and with prayer? Are you cultivating the tree by by serving others? Are you pruning the tree by removing the sinful and wasteful parts of your life? Now, I know this is a little bit different this morning, but um, I want to just give you a little insight into how I generally write my, my messages. Early on in the week, I'll read the text several times and read through some different commentaries and teachings on that passage, and then I'll generally write out the, the teaching portion of the passage first. Like, this is what Scripture tells us. It's, uh, that, that part is pretty much just research, right? And then after that, so I'll go back to it and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show your church through this? And maybe it's an illustration that kind of makes that text come alive, or maybe it's application that specific things that, that we can do to make, um, to apply this text to our life. And this week, it just wasn't coming to me. I was just struggling. And I woke up this morning only having that first part done only having the teaching part done. What I just shared, what I just spoke, that was what I had so far. And I woke up this morning and I was reminded of a parable from Luke 13. And I believe that God put it on my heart to share at the end of this message this morning. This is a word for some of you specifically this morning. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let it go inside of me. So naturally, I started arguing with him about it. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to read you this parable. It's Luke 13, 6 through 9. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Does this sound familiar? By the way, this happened way before Jesus came to Jerusalem and this actually happened in his life. He told this parable before that, okay? So this was was not the same event. This wasn't after this actually happened. This wasn't Jesus being like, oh, remember when this happened? This, This was something that he had shared well before this actually happened in his life. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. And then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now this isn't one of those parables that Jesus told that's like super complicated, that's hard to understand. The principle, the idea behind this is pretty simple, right? 
And so the Lord put that on my heart this morning. And like I said, I, I had an ar argument with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm like, God, I don't want to share that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. That's not, a, that's not an encouraging word this morning. Like, that's not something to get excited about. In fact, I drove here uh, with my daughter this morning. I didn't say a word to her the entire way because I was arguing with God in my head. You can ask her about it. Here's the word that I believe that God gave me for our church today. Some of you have been coming here for years and are still exactly the same as you were three years ago. Still just coming to church. You haven't led anyone to Christ. You haven't joined a small group. You haven't been baptized. You aren't serving in ministry. You're not tithing or giving to missions. You're just a tree with leaves. And listen, those aren't like the, the markers of what it means to, to be a godly person. They're just, they're just some examples of things that it could be. And maybe for some of you, it's not three years, it's 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and you're still the same person that you are, that you were back then. Just a tree with leaves. You have the sign of life, but if you were to leave the church tomorrow, would anybody notice? Now... The owner of the vineyard is the father, right? And ultimately what he says here is, why should I let this tree take up space in my vineyard? Now here's the hope in this, though. The vine dresser is Jesus. And he says, give me a year. Give me a year with this tree. Let me dig up around the roots and cultivate the soil a little bit. Let me put some manure, some fertilizer down. See if we can't get this thing to produce some fruit. Here's the good news this morning. Jesus is working on your behalf. He's interceding for you to the Father. He's buying you time to take a heart that's unfruitful and turn it into something that God can use. He says he's going to do that in two ways. He's going to dig up around the roots. Now, um, my wife is a, pl a plant fanatic, okay? You know this about Laura. Some of you know this. And if a plant isn't doing well, and I think this is absolutely crazy, but what she'll do is she'll just take it right out of the pot and, like, knock all the dirt off the roots so that there's just this ball of roots hanging there, and she'll put it in brand-new soil. That, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's, 
it needs something new. It's used all the nutrients from that soil up, and it needs a transplant. And what you'll generally notice with this plant is initially that's kind of a shock to the plant system, and it might not look the best right away. It might get a little bit wilty at first. But eventually that will produce strength again because it needs that. And sometimes the work that God does in cultivating the soil around us and digging up around those roots is a painful process. We go through things and uh, God uses the circumstances in our life to refine us. In fact, James tells us that we face trials and hardships so that he can make us mature and complete so that we're lacking nothing. And he does that through difficult things. And so sometimes what you're going through, I mentioned this earlier, sometimes what you're going through in life isn't God being mad at you, it's God working on you to make you fruitful. The second thing, says says it right in here, this is scripture, this is not me, puts manure around the roots. Everybody knows what that is, right? Like manure stinks. Right? Sometimes God requires us to go through things that stink to get us to be where we need to be. So three years being in this vineyard with good trees around you bearing good fruit, Jesus says, give me one more year. So maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right in this moment, saying, this is your year. I haven't given up on you. You've been stagnant. You've been stuck. You've been in this place for too long. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now and saying, this is your year. This is your moment. I'm not finished with you yet. So yeah, this is a hard word, but it's not discouraging. It's not discouraging if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe that through the work of the Holy Spirit that he can do what he wants to do in your life. And if you trust him enough, dig up around those roots I believe that God can take what has been fruitless and turn it into something meaningful you were not created to take up a chair on Sunday morning God has bigger plans for you than that willing to trust him enough to go through that process. So as we close today, we're not going to do anything big or dramatic. I just want you to be honest. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. We're just going to take a second. Let him speak to you. And if that's you, 
that's you, would you just let him speak to you about what's next in that process? What step that you're going to take? What you're going to do in that process of spiritual growth? Maybe you need to talk to somebody and share that with them. Say, I need some help on this. I need some encouragement. I need some accountability. Accountability, that's kind of like digging around the roots. It's not fun sometimes, but it's important. Maybe it's just a, a plan of spiritual growth. You need to get in the Word. You need to start reading the Word. You need to start spending time in prayer on a regular basis. Maybe it's just getting out of your comfort zone and doing something to serve others. Maybe it's taking part of a ministry or, or serving in some way. Don't stay the same way that you are. Listen, if, if you're here and, and you come back in a year's time and you're in exactly the same place, then you're not being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Sorry. Because God doesn't, God doesn't just leave us where we're at, right? If, if we're pursuing him and, and we're hungry for the things that he has for us, he's growing us. There's a process of maturity that happens as a result. Sometimes it takes a step of faith. You go and, and read on in that passage. The disciples are amazed that this fig tree dies. And, and you know what Jesus says to them? He's like, listen. You can say to a mountain, go cast yourself into the ocean, and if you believe in your heart, it will, it will happen. Right? That seems like kind of a strange connection between these two things. But sometimes taking that step of faith is the catalyst that gets us from being stagnant and fruitless to being something that God can do, that God can use, that's meaningful. I'm going to pray. I want us to listen. And then we'll close. Lord, we thank you for the family of God. We thank you that you've invited us into your family, that you've adopted us, that you've called us your children. Lord, I, I pray that this morning, as you're speaking to people, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in their lives where they're stuck, where they're stagnant, where they're dry. And Lord, that this moment would be a moment of cultivation, that you would dig around the roots of their life. that you would inject some life into them this morning. Lord, I pray that every person that's a part of this church family would live fruitful and meaningful lives because that's what you do. So speak to us right now by your Holy Spirit. Jesus' name.